Well, good morning again, church family. I invite you to open your Bible to Acts chapter 5. And if you're joining us for the first time, we're in a series in the book of Acts. We just simply open up our Bible as we walk through it word for word, verse by verse. And we let the Lord speak to his people. As you're turning there to Acts 5.17, which begins our passage today, as I was putting this uh, message together and praying through the passage and over and over, I was reminded about 20 years ago, uh, when my wife and I first got married, long before I got in ministry or went to seminary, I was involved in a civic organization in my hometown in Northern Virginia. And someone at one of the dinners, there's maybe a room full of 60 folks or so, they said, hey, would you mind praying for our meal? Well, I thought not, not a whole lot of it. I said, sure, I'm happy to pray for our meal. Thank you, God, for our fellowship and our meal and our time together. And in uh, Jesus' name I pray, amen. And uh, this gentleman comes over to me, was a family friend. I was in my, uh, I don't know how old I was then, mid-20s. And uh, he was in his late 60s. He says, Charlie, can I give you some advice? And I said, sure, I'm always looking for some good counsel. He says, the next time you pray in public, uh, would you, you shouldn't say the name Jesus because people might get offended. Yeah, that was my reaction too. <laughs> I mean, you know by now who he's talking to. <laughs> and I just said, you know, Lord, uh, I, pray, I pray, Lord, this is crazy because this man was a veteran who loved his country. He was a grandfather who was always showing off his grandchildren. Imagine if someone were to say to him, you know, I know you love your country, but could you not show the American flag on your lapel pin and not talk about the country because some people might get offended. Or maybe if somebody were to tell him, could you not show us pictures of your grandkids because someone might get upset or offended by that, he would be up in arms. He'd be ready to fight for his country and, and fight for his grandchildren. But for some reason, this man who claimed to be a Christian thought it seemed okay to deny the name of Christ in public. And so I just very humbly said to him, I said, listen, if you don't want me to pray in Jesus' name, don't invite me to pray. Because when I pray, I'm going to pray in Jesus' name. And that should be all of our hearts, shouldn't it? And this uh, passage that we're seeing today and, is that was just a little bit of opposition. That was just an itsy-bitsy, minute amount of resistance. But what we're seeing rising in our world today isn't people telling us not to pray in the name of Jesus. It's telling people, telling Christians, don't gather in the name of Jesus. Don't proclaim the name of Christ in the, in the gospel message because it's offensive. And what we're seeing in our world today are governments, not individuals, are coming down on the church and saying, what you're saying is not tolerated, it is hate speech. And the passage that we have before us, from the word of God to his people for all generations, is when is civil disobedience allowed? Because we are called by God to obey the government. Romans 13 tells us that. But we're about to see a situation in scripture when the Lord himself will show us there are times that when the Lord tells us to do something and the government tells us to stop doing it, we are to obey God rather than man. And here in our passage, uh, if we start uh, previous passages, we see God makes a move and then the devil makes a move. It's like this cosmic chess match. The devil makes his move and God makes a move and back and forth they go. In Acts 4.32, we read, Now the full number of those who believe were of one heart and one spirit. And then that passage ends with Acts 5.1, But a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira. Sapphira. And we see the devil make us move with that couple. And then when that passage is over, we see the Lord make his move in Acts 5.12. And we're told, Now many signs and wonders were regularly done by the people. And then that passage ends with the devil's move, Acts 5, 17, with what, what we're reading now. But the high priest rose up. 
And even in your life today, in the life of our church, in our ministries, in our families, God is going to make a move, then the devil makes his move. And right now it seems like we're waiting for God to make his move, aren't we? Well, here in Acts 5, 17, we're, we're going to see the main point of the passage is that God's mission will prevail no matter how hard the resistance. God's missions will go forward no matter how strong and powerful those are who work against his mission. Acts 5, 17 starts out, but the high priest rose up. And if you take notes, you should circle the words rose up because we're about to see that in another passage here in just a moment. The high priest rose up, and this is just after the apostles are preaching in the temple, and God is performing amazing signs and wonders among the people. People left and right are getting healed. Even if Peter's shadow will just cross over some who are sick, they'll be healed. This is awesome. The power isn't coming from Peter or John. It's coming from the Lord himself as he sits on his throne in heaven. Here we see the high priest rose up after watching this. And all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy. You should circle that as well. This is here we see motive or intent. It answers the question, why are the, the high priests rising up? Why are the Sadducees and those who are with them, why are they rising up? It's because they were jealous. So what did their jealousy lead them to do? What was the, an action that came out of the emotion of jealousy? Well, it says they arrested the apostles and put them in public prison. This would be in Jerusalem. This would be a, the highest uh, tech prison of its day, state of the art. This is an impenetrable prison in Israel. There aren't people who break out of this prison. Not only is it secure and locked up, but there are guards outside the gates. There is no way anybody's going to get out of this prison. The prison is where they are put. And what are the apostles arrested for? They're arrested for doing what God has called them to do. They're obeying God. They're proclaiming the gospel message. The gospel is the power of God for salvation. The devil does not like the gospel proclaimed. And here we see how he uses government officials and leaders. He's going to use the court and, and the law enforcement of this day right here at this moment to lock up those who are doing what God has called them to do. Are you with me? These are normal guys. They live normal lives. They had jobs. They had interests. They had hobbies just like you and me. Their, their country was occupied by Rome. These guys had an interest in politics. You better believe it. And here they're called to proclaim the gospel message. Their lives are drastically transformed. They're trusting in the Lord. And all they're doing is doing what the Lord told them to do. And they're watching the Lord work. And that's the same calling for you and I, friends. We're just normal people living our lives. We believe this gospel message. And the Lord has called us to do a work and to trust him and obey him and stand back and watch him move. And the reason why the church doesn't see some of these amazing miracles today, friends, is probably because... We're not doing what the Lord is calling us to do. And we're pursuing our own interest. We're trying to build our own kingdom at times instead of building the kingdom of the Lord. Here we see uh, the Bible has a great deal to say in general. But we see that the, the enemy is using his politicians and officials and, and all they're trying to do is speak freely. Did you ever think you'd live in a time in our own country where freedom of religion and freedom of speech would be so uh, pressed down upon as it is today? Christians are called to speak truth about marriage, about life in the womb, about genders. Just as God's word tells us to say so, we are not to be silent, but we are to stand for truth. And here these disciples are standing for truth. 
And I ran an ad several months ago. I never told you this. But I ran an ad on social media to promote a prayer night we were doing at the church. And my ad was rejected by the social media platform because it violated terms and services. Isn't that crazy? Terms and conditions. It was a prayer night. And I, I, I prayed and I said, Lord, why would our prayer night be rejected? How will people find out about it? And then as I prayed, I thought, well, maybe the Lord, the, the responsibility of spreading the word about the prayer night isn't upon the social media platforms, but it's upon the people, upon your people. And I want to encourage you, if you have social media, to look for ways to help spread what the Lord is doing here at Christ Baptist Church. Share events and posts. We've got Matt Pompa coming up. It's going to be a great gospel-centered night. People could get saved hearing the lyrics to Matt's songs. I encourage you as well when you come to church to check in on your social media. Hey, you're coming and worship Jesus today. If you don't have a home church, come and join me. Let them see where you worship. Don't be shy about it. Let the non-believing world know there's a place they could come to worship the Lord and hear the gospel. The devil would love for us to be cowardice and not use our social media platforms to promote the gospel. And here we see that the persecution is increasing. The government's bringing upon them. I was interested what a statistic on persecution is for Christians in our day today. I came across an article by World Watch published by Open Doors USA. And they said, and I quote, 360 million Christians uh, last year lived in countries where persecution was significant. Roughly 5,600 Christians were murdered because of their faith. More than 6,000 were detained or put in prison. And 4,000 plus were kidnapped. In addition, more than 5,000 churches and other religious facilities were destroyed in the name of Jesus Christ. Uh, Because of the name of Jesus Christ. The devil wants Christians killed for sharing their faith. And if he can't put Christians uh, in the grave, he will try to put them in prison and lock them up to silence their message. And that's exactly what we're seeing here today. Politicians are already blaming Christians uh, for being against or not for their anti-God agenda. Christians who stand for truth are called all sorts of names. And the government's already trying to get the, the crowds against Christians, if you haven't noticed. This is very reminiscent of Nero and the Roman emperor in A.D. 54 and A.D. 68. Uh, History tells us that Nero hated Christians. He burned them alive at his parties in his backyard. He fed them to lions. And history also tells us that uh, Nero caught Rome on fire and a large majority of it burned down while he played his fiddle on his balcony and he watched. And as it was smoldering part of the city, he told the people that the Christians had done this because he wanted to turn the world against Christians. John the Baptist stood for truth. He rebuked King Herod. And he said, for your rebuke for divorcing your wife and marrying your niece, what you're doing is a violation of God's law. It is immoral. It would be like standing for marriage today or standing for what God has called a man and a woman. And what did King Herod do? He had him beheaded. And his head was served on a platter, all for standing for truth. During the pandemic, liquor stores were allowed open. They were deemed essential. Strip clubs, casinos, marijuana dispensaries were deemed essential. People rioted in the streets with no rebuke from the government, burning down major cities. And while this was happening, churches were told to shut down and God's people were to stop proclaiming and stop worshiping. I have a headline to show you from April 20th. 2020, 2020, this may uh, 
come right home for you. I read this when I was in Texas. North Carolina governor blames COVID spread on Christians. It wasn't blamed on those who were out rioting or those who were in all these other places that were deemed essential. He specifically, it wasn't even on religious people. It was specifically aimed at Christians are causing the spread. Friends, what we're seeing today is nothing new. And we have so much to learn from the book of Acts. God is speaking to us today as he speaks to the apostles to show us what our position is. And the question is, is will you obey God or will you obey man when it comes to these matters? Notice the passage here says the leaders were filled with jealousy. A heart of jealousy is a heart that is upset by the advantages of another. And you could be jealous for someone because of what they have, but also be careful because you could be jealous for something they don't have. You could be going through a tough season in life and you're jealous because that person's not living the way they should and they're not experiencing the trials you're going through. Have you ever been jealous for someone because of what they don't have? Jealousy is a sin. It is wicked and evil and it, it gives birth to other sins in our hearts. The devil desperately wants us to be jealous. He wants us to compare ourselves with everyone else. And look what social media does. It adds fuel to the fire, doesn't it? It's very tempting to look at social media and compare yourself to other people. What they have, what you don't have. Their homes, their jobs, their vacations, their lifestyles. and Everything looks so wonderful on social media. And the devil wants you to be so jealous. And here they see the leaders are jealous. And why are they jealous? They're jealous because what they're offering the Lord through their religion, through their, their dead traditions, through all their wearing their clothes and looking pious before the, the people, what they're offering the Lord is not accepted. Instead, what the apostles are offering the Lord is what accept, is accepted by God. God is giving favor to the group of men who are proclaiming Christ, who have faith in the gospel, and he's not giving favor to the men who reject it. They are deeply jealous. We see that the high priest rose up, and let me read for you because this sounds very similar to what happened in Cain and Abel uh, event in Genesis 4, 3 through 8. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought a fruit, the first fruit of his flock and of their fat portion. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. That's exactly what's happening with these religious leaders and the apostles. The Lord is showing regard for one offering over another. So Cain became very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why were you angry, and why is your face fallen? If you do well, will it not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. It desires is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. And then notice here, friends, in Genesis 4, 8, Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, look what Cain did. Cain rose up. Just as the high priest rose up, motivated out of jealousy, Cain rose up to kill his brothers. He rose up against his brother, Abel, and he killed him. Jealousy leads to murder. And the five priests are standing up. They want more than imprisonment. They want the apostles dead because they're jealous of them. Not because of anything Abel did, but because God gave Abel favor is the reason why Cain was jealous of him. Let me read for you one more example of jealousy. In Genesis 37, Joseph had a dream. He shared his dream with his brothers. His dream was that one day you're going to bow down to me. 
the brothers didn't like that very much. In Genesis 37, 11, we're told, and his brothers were jealous of him. But his father kept the saying in mind. And then we jump down to Genesis 37, 18. They saw him from afar. And before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him in one of the pits. Of course, the way Joseph is treated for telling his brothers, one day you will bow down to me is a foreshadow of the way Jesus will be treated by his brothers who killed him at the cross. And one day those brothers will bow down to Jesus as well. Jesus is the greater Joseph. Jealousy is a sin that leads to other sins. It'll hold you captive. And my question for you, friends, is who are you jealous of today? Who in your hearts are, do you, you have a bitterness towards because they have an advantage you don't, or maybe they, they don't have something you have that you don't want? Are you jealous of a coworker, of a friend, an ex-spouse? Are you jealous of a sibling? The Lord is calling all of us today not to be jealous, not to harbor that sin, but to release it today, to confess it and repent. Proverbs 6.34 says, For jealousy makes a man furious that he would act in rage, out of control. And he will not spare when he takes revenge. Bible commentator Kent Hughes says, jealousy is, a, is by nature destructive. The leaders are upset because the apostles are being blessed. They're performing signs. The devil makes them jealous. And then verse 19 tells us this. But during the night, an angel opened the door. So here we have... The Lord do his thing, the devil locks him up, and now we're seeing the Lord do his move. It's time for the Lord to make his move. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out. What is happening here, friends, is absolutely hysterical. Because the Sadducees are part of this group that put the apostles in prison. The Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. They denied it. Not only did they not believe in the resurrection, but they didn't believe in angels. Isn't that pretty funny? So rather than the Lord appearing himself, I could see him sitting back on his throne, and this is all conjecture, saying instead of me going down, the resurrected Jesus sends the angels from heaven to earth to show the Sadducees that they, what they believe is wrong. And that goes to show, friends, that you can believe something all your life. You can be taught it by very religious people, and you can still believe the wrong thing. I grew up believing that if I was a, a good person, I could go to heaven. I, I believe for very religious people who are very well educated that my salvation was based upon my works. And then I began to read scripture and the Lord opened my eyes to see the truth that our salvation is not based on our works. It's all based on grace through faith in Jesus Christ. The Sadducees are being uh, embarrassed here that angels are being sent from heaven to open the prison. This is going to make them more furious. And here, don't think for a second, Lord, that the Lord doesn't know what's happening here on earth. This should encourage every one of us here today. That the Lord sees every detail that his people are going through. He sees his people on trial. He sees them go to the prison and he's going to release them. He doesn't always release them, but he's able to. And friends, you should know that when you're being on trial or, or going through a difficult season because you're standing up for truth, the Lord sees it. He takes notice of it. He's more aware of it than you are what's going on. And all we can do is trust and obey. The angel's about to give a direction to the people. What is he going to say to the apostles? There's a number of messages the angel could say, isn't there? The angel could say, how could you have gotten arrested? 
I'm so embarrassed. How could you have gotten arrested? Now you're, you're hurting our name. You're, you're, you're standing for God, but you did it in a way that got you arrested. We're ashamed. That's not what he says. The angel said, could have said, boys, you better run. You better run for your lives and come back at a different time when things cool down here in Jerusalem. Maybe go back up to northern Israel where it's quieter. That's not what the angel says. Look at verse 20, what the angel says. And say, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people the words of this life. You want us to go back to the crime scene where we got arrested? You want us to go back in the temple area and do the very thing that got us in prison to begin with? That's exactly what the angel tells them to do. This word stand, friends, means don't be a coward. Don't sit among the people. Don't try to blend in. Don't try to to hide yourself from the authorities. You stand and you boldly proclaim truth. And that's what the Lord Jesus wants you to do. So here's, here's what happens. Verse 21. Will they do it? Will they obey? Or will they be cowards and run away? Verse 21 says, when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and they began to teach. Isn't that awesome? The Lord is using his people here because they were obedient and they trusted him. Friends, if you want to be used by God, I want to be used by God. It's going to take courage and boldness. It's going to take faith and trust in his word. Because when we doubt is when when our fears creep in, isn't it? But believing the word of God pushes out doubt. We don't see the disciples here, the apostles have any doubt. They're doing what they're told to do. And the church, if the church was, of today was around then, I think all of you would say the church would be very divided by what they're doing. The church, many church people would tell the apostles, you better obey man. You better tone down your message. You better stop proclaiming the gospel. You're going to get us in a lot of trouble. How dare you go against the leadership? If you disobey them, they're going to come after us. People would divide their churches over this group that is obeying God rather than man. The church would be divided just the way the devil wants it to be. But during this time in church history, the church is unified. They are of one spirit and one mind. Uh, the government's orders are to give fear to the people because the government knows it can control people with fear. But what the government fears are people they're not afraid. Proverbs 29, 25 says, the fear of man lays a snare. It's a trap. But whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. The apostles feared the Lord. They did not fear man. The Lord made his move and now the devil makes his move beginning with the word now. The devil's turn. Now the high priest came. And those who were with him, they called together the council, the senate of the people of Israel, and they sent to the prison to have them brought. And this would be completely equivalent to a congressional hearing. They would have been brought in. C-SPAN would be covering this live for the whole nation to watch. All the media stations would be covering it. Every channel would stop its normal coverage of whatever they're covering so the world can make an example out of these Christians. And here the leaders were intimidated by Christians, but they bring them in. And this reminds me of Psalm 2, which says, Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? He who sits on high scoffs at them. 
There is no movement that will overthrow the Lord's plan. What they're doing is absolutely in vain. Just like any governments today that try to stop the movement of the Lord will be in vain. The governments plot against the the work of the Lord here. They're wasting their time. Verse 22 tells us this. But when the officials, the officers came, they did not find them in the secure lockdown prison that has the guards in front of it. They were not in the prison, so they returned and reported, we found the prison securely locked and the guards standing in front, but when we opened, we found no one inside. How could this possibly be? How could they have gotten out of a securely gate, a a locked door, guarded by these Roman guards? And here we're told, verse 24, now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this could come to. These criminals have escaped. These terrorists, these extremists, these threat to our democracy, these bigots, these racists, these people that we must can shoot down and in prison and make an example of. Maybe they're scattered all throughout Israel. Where could they possibly be that we could grab a hold of them again and stop what they're doing? They never have imagined they were where they're about to find them to be. Verse 25. Verse 25 says, And someone came and told them, Look, or behold, look, see, the men whom you put in prison are standing They're not in hiding. They are boldly in front of the crowd, easily to be found. They have no fear of you. They're standing in the temple and they're not just standing, but they're teaching the people. They're teaching the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They're teaching the angel came to the prison and released them, that the resurrected Jesus is large and in charge on his throne. And there's no salvation but through his name. Verse 26 says, Then the captain, the officers, went and brought them in. But not by force, because they they were afraid of being stoned by the people. It's interesting here, these men who who are being accused of these things and were in prison are not the ones being afraid. It's the ones who are in authority who are being afraid. These men have fear. Verse 27 tells us, And when they brought them in, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charge you to not teach in this name. And notice here by observation, they won't even say the name Jesus. They're so disgusted by it. They can't even utter his names on their lips, his name on their lips. The government told them, you stop gathering together. You stop proclaiming his name. You stop standing in the temple. You stop teaching people about the gospel message. Why? Because the gospel is the power of God to save. And the devil wants to shut it down. He's always wanted to shut it down. And yet, here we're told, yet, here you were, you filled Jerusalem. That means every household is talking about what you're doing. There is not a household or a dinner table that's not talking about this angel that appeared. There's not a household that's not talking about Jesus being raised from the dead. You have filled Jerusalem. Friends, oh, that we would fill Raleigh. Oh, that we would fill our block, our school, our teams, our neighborhoods, our country with the glorious gospel message. The apostles were so faithful. They were so obedient. They stood up to these threats and God magnified their ministry that they filled Jerusalem with the word of God. You filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you intend, this is great here, you intend to bring this man's blood upon us 
This is magnificent because when you read Matthew 27, 24, let me read to you what they were saying at the trial of Jesus, these same people. In Matthew 27, 24, so when Pilate saw that he was getting nothing, gaining nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See it for yourselves. And all the people answered, including the Sadducees and the council, all the religious leaders, they answered, his blood be on us and our children. Then they released Barabbas and they scourged Jesus and delivered him to be crucified. At his trial, the religious leaders said, we'll take his blood upon us. But now they don't want that because he is the resurrected savior of the world. And now the religious leaders are saying to the apostles, don't you dare put that man's blood on us. Well, you crucified him. You had a mock trial. And so here Peter says in verse 29, but Peter and their apostles answered. Now they could have said, we're so sorry, we'll stop. Look at what they say. We must obey God rather than man. You should circle that because that is the heartbeat of this whole passage. Who will you obey? When the government tells you to stop proclaiming Christ, when the government says stop meeting and gathering and worshiping and telling people about Jesus, who will you obey, friends? The same thing that's happening then is happening today. Do you know in Canada, it was passed a law last January, this, this past January, it's against the law to tell a homosexual about the gospel and try to convert them. If you get caught doing that, you'll spend five years in prison. Churches are being shut down. Pastors are going to jail. It's coming here, friends. Are you ready? I don't believe the church in America is ready for the persecution that's coming. We need the book of Acts to prepare us. Look at the difference between these men, the apostles, and the religious leaders. Warren Wearsby writes, and I have a quote for you. What a contrast between the apostles and the members of the council. The council was educated, ordained, and approved, and yet they had no ministry of power. The apostles were ordinary laymen, yet God's power was at work in their lives. The council was trying desperately to protect themselves in their dead traditions. While the apostles were risking their lives to share the living word of God, the dynamic church was enjoying the new. The dead council was trying to defend the old. Who are you a part of today, friends? Are you a, a part of the dead council? Or are you a, prayer, a part of the, the living apostles who are, who are living for things that are new to proclaim the gospel of the lost? Verse 30 tells us this. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, who you killed by hanging him on a tree. This is Peter's sermon at to the, the leaders. What a bold statement. He's calling them to repentance. And they know that curse is anyone who hangs on a tree. So what Peter's saying is, you not only killed him, but you defiled him by the way you, you had him killed. Verse 31, Peter says, God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior. This word leader here means prince, author, captive, pioneer. Jesus is leading the way to this new covenant. And Peter is saying, we're following Jesus in the new covenant, which is the covenant of grace and mercy. And just like the story of Cain and Abel, we're wrapping up. We're going to get to our big question here. Hang on. Just like Cain and Abel, God accepted the offer of, offering of Jesus on the cross. Jesus was the offering. And he rejected the offering of the religious leaders, which is a salvation of works. And they were jealous, and they killed Jesus, and now they want to kill the apostles. Jesus is the, is the greater Abel by his offering. Verse 31, and wrapping up here, God exalted him 
as the leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. There is no salvation anywhere other than Jesus Christ. And Peter is saying, you're doing all these religious acts. You have all these ceremonies, all this tradition, and none of them will get you one step closer to God. In verse 32, and we are witnesses to these things. And so it is, so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. To obey Christ is to repent and believe the gospel message. Have you repented today, friends? Are you saved? And now this leads us, as we wrap up here in just a minute, to the biggest question of the day. Are you ready? On the count of three. Hey, you've had an extra hour of sleep. This better be good. The choir, our, our orchestra, everybody was on fire this morning. Wouldn't you agree? Now it's your time to shine. On the count of three. One, two, three. Hey, I can hear the extra hour. That was good. So what? And when we ask this question, what we're asking is, how do we apply this to our lives? What now? What do we do with this information? How does it enter our time and our day and our lives? There's three ways. Number one is this. We see this right in the passage that God can deliver his people from the oppressors if he chooses. And friends, we have to believe that with all the confidence that if God wants to deliver us when we're, we're put on trial or persecuted, he can deliver us. And sometimes he will and sometimes he won't for his own glory. Sometimes more persecution will, will allow for the advancement of the gospel to continue. It's well within his power in Daniel chapter 3, 16 through 18. Let me read this for you. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar tells Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to bow down and worship the idol. In verse 16 in Daniel 3 says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God who we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be be it known to you, O king, that we will never serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. God is able to deliver his people in one way or another. And maybe our deliverance could be that we do die for the gospel, but he will deliver us from death and rise us up to the eternal kingdom where we will live forever and ever. Number two, so what is this? The mission will not be successfully opposed. Uh, Every emperor, every world leader, every government that came against the gospel in the past, they're all dead. And what advances on? The gospel message. People continue to get saved. It's like a -a whack-a-mole throughout history. The devil kills one or or hurts one and pops them down and other people spring up with God's people to continue to proclaim the gospel. Any attempt to stop the transmission of the gospel will fail. And today in China, from what I hear, the gospel is flourishing. And China is one of the countries with the greatest persecution of believers. In fact, every study I've read of the recent years says there are more Christians in China than there are people in the United States. And we need to pray for the persecuted church in America because they are our brothers and our sisters. And I'm reading uh, from different people who have come out of Iran who say the church is incredibly persecuted in Iran and the gospel is flourishing. The persecution is the soil and the water, the sunlight that God uses to grow his church. And if the church isn't growing here in America, the Lord may be bringing persecution to help it grow. Third and finally is this, that we are to pray for our leaders. We need to pray for our leaders. And here we see the the apostles were under great persecution by their leaders. 1 Timothy 2, 1 uh, through 4 tells us this. First of all, then I urge you 
that supplication, prayer, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for the kings and all those in high position, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of our God, who desires all people to be saved, to come to the knowledge of the truth. Friends, we are to pray for the good of our leaders, and we are also to pray for good leaders. Proverbs 29.2 tells us, when the righteous increase, the people rejoice, but when the wicked rule, the people groan. People are groaning all throughout our world today. It's no coincidence we would have this passage one Sunday before election day. I want to read to you Jeremiah 29.7, and I hope this soaks into your heart. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf. And for its welfare, you will find your welfare. Friends, we have an opportunity to elect our leaders this Tuesday. And I hope that every God-fearing man and woman goes out and votes. And we are to vote for, for men and women who fear the Lord. Who, have the, who believe in the Son of God. Who have the Spirit of God and believe the Word of God. And we should be praying for this day. And regardless of the outcome, that the, the Lord reigns. He is in control of the outcome. And he will give us the best outcome for the advancement of his kingdom. And we must just continue to be faithful to proclaim the gospel, regardless of what happens. This week, in closing, uh, you probably heard by now that the Jackson family is moving to Huntsville. <laughs> I said I would cry. I couldn't even look at you during worship. But I love Aaron and Laura. And everything that they're going through now is exactly what I experienced coming out of Texas. I wasn't looking to leave. The Lord called me out. And I told Aaron in the choir on Wednesday night what I was told by the chair of my elders in Texas. Uh, when I announced I was leaving, they cried and I cried. And they said, Charlie, we're kingdom men. We're kingdom people and you're a kingdom man. And through tears, the chairman of our elder board said, uh, we want what's best for the kingdom. And so when Aaron took me to lunch a couple weeks ago, I said, uh, Aaron... We're kingdom people, and you're a kingdom man. I want what's best for the kingdom. And I'm going to be sad, but we need to pray for the Jacksons as they transition, and we love them. Can we give Aaron and Laura a big hand? sit down. <laughs> if I want to clap after a sermon, I've got to give Aaron some credit. So I, <laughs> just kidding. But I, I would covet your prayers. I know the elders would covet your prayers. There's a lot of decisions to be made. The temptation for us is to divide and fight and bicker over the next weeks and months to come. But we are to be unified. We are to be God's kingdom people as we pray for Aaron and we pray for the next kingdom man that God has for us. Would you join me in that prayer? Would you commit to that? And uh, we just have to trust our leadership, and there'll be uh, more steps, and uh, will be decided tonight, and we'll communicate to the church this week what the next steps will be. But please be praying for his replacement, and it'll be very hard. It'll be an act of God to fill the shoes that he wears every Sunday. But let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Lord, I, I, I don't know about everyone else here, but this, this passage emboldens me. It gives me confidence and courage to know that we have a mission to proclaim the gospel. 
And that we have forces from hell that oppose us and who will use every possible means on earth to stop what we're doing, yet our Lord will prevail. Father, give us confidence and courage to proclaim the gospel message. Let us use social media. Let us invite people to our, our Thanksgiving events and our Christmas events. Christmas and Thanksgiving are a wonderful time to invite people. Father, let those who are invited accept the invitation and come and be a part of the gospel community that is here at Christ Baptist. Lord, for Aaron and his beautiful family, I just pray a blessing on them as they continue to transition. Let them be so encouraged by our church as we just thank them so much for 14 years of service. And Father, we just lift up the, the vacancy that will be left here. There'll be big shoes to fill. And we ask that you are already begin to work in that man's heart and his family to prepare them for us and us for him. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.